This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echoes. Diogo slices through the blades, the Reds stand strong on their defensive stance, and Liverpool out to serve data dreamers a wake-up call in Anfield Champions League return. I'm Guy Clark, welcome along to the Blood Red podcast. Alongside me to look back on the win over Sheffield United, discuss whether or not Liverpool will move for a centre-back in January and preview Tuesday night's Champions League clash with FC Midtjylland, Atul Paul Gorst, Matt Addison and Peter Harris, whose internet connection is as solid as Joel Matip's injury record. <laughs> Guys, how are we all? <laughs> yeah, not, not bad, guy. Busy Bundy, Champions League presses and all that. Um Still doesn't feel like it's the real Champions League, does it? Which is a quite sad. But yeah, um, on we go to tomorrow night at Anfield. Matt, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just uh, can only reiterate really what Ghosty said there. It's been a, another busy one. Loads of things to, to go on with, but you know, the, the Champions League, even if it's not in its proper format, it's still the Champions League, isn't it? It's still exciting to see Liverpool play. So, yeah, very much looking forward to seeing what Mitchell Ant brings to the table because I can't say I've ever watched them before. Now we have, I've got to say, we've got Joe Donoghue from Scouted Football who will be joining us a bit later on as well to just have a bit of a say on FC Midtjylland because none of us, as you say, Matt, are sort of seasoned watchers of the Danish league. Peter, great to have you back with us on the Blood Red podcast. Been a while and as a, re- as, as a reference before, your, uh, your internet let you down on your debut, but hopefully back with a stronger showing today. Yeah, a, a touch wood, fingers crossed of everything. Um, <laughs> hopefully won't give out uh, partway through, uh, no jinxes. Um, <laughs> but it's good to be back, yeah. I've uh, tentatively waited for another opportunity, <laughs> another go. Waited patiently on the sidelines and here it is. Anyway, let's get on then and chat about the uh, football. And Gorsty, come to you first because you were, of course, at Anfield on Saturday night whilst the rest of us were making do with pay-per-view. You were inside the stadium and it was uh, an assured performance by the Reds despite, of course, falling behind. It was. Um, it was a bit of an interesting one, wasn't it? I thought the second half Liverpool were much better. I thought first half, obviously, playing... Playing the four-two-three-one rather than the the um, the go-to-four-three-three, sort of a little bit getting used to. I think Liverpool. I think Klopp actually has pretty much played four-three-three for the best part of two years since Shaqiri was having his real run in the team, which was around about two years ago, as I say, after a few weeks after he joined. So um, it wasn't a seamless transition, but I do think when um, when the when Liverpool are up against a team who they're expected to dominate uh, possession-wise and um, they're going to see lots more of the ball, particularly at home, I do think that that is kind of a viable option for Klopp, you know, just to get Diogo Jota in the team alongside that front three. So, um, you know, Jota's come in for big money, so I think it's not always going to be a case of him kicking his heels on the bench and waiting for an opportunity in a cup game or an injury or a substitute, you know, cameo. <coughs> Excuse me. I do think will be a chance for him to kind of show what he can do in that formation going forward. And I think Tuesday night is, is a very similar prospect, really. Liverpool will, again, be expected to to uh, to be the aggressor. And I think uh, with the lack of midfield options at the moment, it might be a case of uh, playing the two in there again and having the, the, the four almost, if you like, up front. 
Yeah, that's the thing, Peter, isn't it? With Diogo Jota, since he's come in, he has looked impressive in sort of all the, the opportunities he's had. And I mean, at Wolves, he was a player who was constantly playing. So he is used to that. He isn't going to be somebody who's come in and wants to sit on the bench. Yeah, he's he's used to leading an attack. Um, he was at Wolves. He was quite crucial in that lineup. Um, but he he knows what team he's coming into. He knew who knew he knew who was ahead of him. I think that was talk about if they were going to sign a new attacker. Um, it was they'd have to know that Mane, Salah, and Firmino will probably be ahead of them in in the pecking order. So he knew that going in. Um, it's quite. It was a bit of a surprise that Klopp's managed to find a, a formation to try and experiment and have all of them start. Uh, but it was very promising to see all of them in the lineup from the off, um, especially if there is some issues in midfield and injuries might result in you know Thiago or, or, or Wijnaldum dropping out. It, it's very positive to see Jota being able to start alongside the front three. Yeah, and talk of Diogo Jota, Matt, but also the other goal scorer, Roberto Firmino. Lots of talk around him at the moment regarding goals. He he got off the mark at Anfield in the Premier League for this season, of course, on, on Saturday. And just a point on the formation to ask you about as well, regarding it being 4-2-3-1, we spoke about Jota and the other sort of major summer signing, Thiago. It does have a feel if that's going to be a system moving forward. It would really suit him. Yeah, I think so. I think it suits both of them. I thought we didn't just see a goal from Roberto Firmino. I thought he looked a uh, much better and, and much more like his former self, really, in that game. I thought it, it suited him to have an extra option up there with him. He, he seemed to sort of be involved a little bit more in the, the play than what we've seen him over You know, the, the last few weeks. There's been, obviously, a lot of discussion about whether he should be taken out of the team, whether he was still doing the job in, in the same way, to the same level that he needs to be in. I thought he, he looked much more like himself. Like I said, I thought he was much, much better. And I think part of that is just having that extra option up there with him. It, it's not just, you know, him you know, leading the line. Obviously, we know what Mane and, and Salah do. But I think in some ways, Diogo Jota can almost take the, the pressure off his shoulders in that sort of regard a, a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, the, the 4-2-3-1 didn't work perfectly, I don't think. Uh, I think it would probably have worked a little bit better had Thiago Alcantara been fit, which I think we probably might see at the weekend uh, against West Ham if Liverpool were to play a similar sort of formation. It'd be interesting to see how much of a, a difference he could make and, and sort of being in that creative role from deep. But I think that the signs were certainly there that, you know, obviously with Jota, with Firmino and Mane and Salah as well, who I thought were both excellent on the night. I thought it was uh, certainly something for Jurgen Klopp to use going forward, even if in that first half it, it was slightly disjointed. Yeah, kind of gone a bit backwards there, Gorsty, in terms of talking about the guys who got the goals and Liverpool getting the attacking side of the job done. They did, of course, fall behind a penalty and... Well, let's say for some it was controversial. We'll, we'll get on to who thinks maybe it wasn't in a bit. I have to say I'm perhaps in, in that camp. But penalty conceded by Fabinho. My question regarding it all was, did he need to make that challenge where he did? No, probably not. He was on the edge of the box and was it McBurney? He didn't really have too much room to pull back his leg and get a shot off. So uh, probably not. But I um, don't think it was a penalty. Um it, it, it was a strange one, wasn't it? I mean, I know a lot of people thought it was outside the box and he won the ball and some of VAR has given it as a penalty. But the law is, if it's on the line, then it is in the box. But I think that was kind of the overriding thought process. Once again, I, I think the fact that... I, I think they looked at it and thought, well, it's on the line, so it's a penalty, as opposed to seeing whether actually he got the ball or not, which I thought he did. 
But um, Liverpool dusted themselves off. They didn't really. Um, they, they could have easily bemoaned their own bad luck at the moment. So yeah, it seems to be running against it at the moment. And, and the Salah one in the second half was another one which has gone against them on on this occasion. It was probably right, um, although it was a bit of a bad humbug moment for Salah who took that so well um, and deserved the goal for that. But uh, I thought Liverpool did well not to kind of let it get them down, and they just kind of stepped stuck to the game plan and um, broke Sheffield United down and, and have come away with the win against a, a decent side when they're, when they're not playing at the best and, and the kind of just still feeling their way into the season and still look a bit fragile so it's um, it's good to see them still picking up maximum points Peter what was your view on it did you think it was a, a penalty and as you say it, as Gorsty said there it does seem at the moment that VAR maybe has it in for Liverpool it just seems to be going against them in every which opportunity it could it does at the moment. I know there was a lot of talk about what VAR were, were checking. Were they checking whether it was a, a foul? Were they checking whether it was in the box? And uh, in all that discussion, I, I completely lost what VAR w- was for. What what are the rules anymore? Are they kind of you know we had the previous fixture where the referee apparently an official forgot what he could check for VAR was the the speculation, and it was like well are, are they changing it each week depending on what happens the previous week? Uh, what are the rules? Are they saying, oh, this week we think, you know, a player makes a foul in the box, even if the ball's outside, it's still a penalty. There was actually an incident afterwards where Diego Jota seemed to make contact and, and that seemed more of a, a penalty shout than the one that was actually given. So there's also the argument of, oh, they even so foul, but it really doesn't feel like it. When it goes against you, it feels like it really goes against you. And uh, when the penalty was given, I thought, oh, here we go again. It's going to be another one. Another one of those kind of things, especially when, and then Salah's offside, even though it, it might have been, but it was still close. You still want to argue, oh, but is he Is he really? Um, it's just one of those, it, it's here for the time being. We've kind of got get used to it. Um, but I think it was a penalty. You hope, whether it's international break in January or before next season, something needs to change. Yeah, certainly. Matt, what was your view on the incident? I have to say, for my sort of view, I thought that Fabinho, I think it was proof that maybe he's a central defensive midfield player. He's used to being five yards further up the pitch, perhaps in that situation than what he was. Dived into the challenge, maybe caught McBurney just before the ball, albeit that was outside the box and the penalty was given. But let you have your say. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I think that is it. I think Fabinho is a little bit rash in, in diving into a tackle. Obviously, McBurney's facing away from goal. He's not a massive threat at, at that point. So I think if Fabinho had his time again, I'm sure he would have just stayed on his feet and, and maybe not dived in to get the ball. For me, it was a foul. It was just about on the line, so therefore it was a penalty kick. You know, Where the ball is on the pitch is completely irrelevant. That The tackle was you know just about on the line. And on the, the debrief after the game, I actually compared it to to the Everton game in the sense that you know Mane was a couple of millimetres offside. Liverpool were very, very unfortunate in that regard. And it's exactly the same thing. You know, if that foul is literally two millimetres further forward, it's a free kick. But unfortunately for Liverpool on this occasion, it, it was a penalty and, and that's what VAR is given. So I think obviously Liverpool are, are very, very unlucky in, in terms of the VAR. You look at, at those two decisions, you look at the Jordan Pickford one, that was you know, a clear mistake. That should have been a, a red card for him. And I think you know, the, the sort of discussions ab- about the two incidents that, that follow that Pickford non-red card kind of are, are, are 
sort of influencing the way that, that people think about it. So I can understand the sort of collective frustration from Liverpool fans that it seems like VAR is, is going against Liverpool at, at this moment in time. It was on, on one occasion, you know, the, the Pickford red card. That was a, a mistake. He should have been sent off. He wasn't. But the other two, for me, have, have been spot on. So, yeah, it, it is unfortunate. Time will tell whether these things do even themselves out or not. But in terms of the actual Fabinho penalty call, I actually thought that the referee and, and VAR got that one spot on in the end. Yeah, plenty of people, of course, disagreeing with that viewpoint, but it is, of course, a game of opinions. Steve Tiffins got in touch with us on Facebook today, says, was robbed of three points against the Toffees, Manny wasn't offside for the goal, and Pickford should have seen red. VAR is costing teams big points, and they're and they are against us. So we'll have to wait and see as it is. We do know that, of course, every team in the Premier League now has suffered a defeat. But, Gorsty, if Fabinho was maybe a bit rash with that challenge, what about Joe Gomez next to him? We spoke for a whole week about how he needed to sort of step up and take on the mantle from Virgil van Dijk. You were inside the stadium. Were you impressed as the rest watching at home? Uh, in the second half, I was particularly the last 15, 20 minutes. I thought he really stood up well. But um, in the first half, I thought he was getting caught out a bit too much. I thought um, Sheffield United had clearly targeted him and, and put Ollie McBurney on him and, and kept knocking it long diagonally. And, and more often than not, the, the strikers seemed to be winning it. There was a there was a one in the first half when um, the goalkeeper knocked it long. McBurney won it. Um, and then the knockdown comes to Baldock and... Gomez is way out of position. Bulldog takes it well past him and gets the cross into Osborne on the other side to connect with it. And Allison made a decent save to, to keep it out. And I just felt that um, they had the, the upper hand on him in the first half, but he stuck to it. And second half, he was a lot better. And, and that block from um, was it Oliver Burke, the substitute, um, after Fabinho had kind of slipped over trying to stop him. I thought that was a big moment. Because, um, you know, that was probably Sheffield United's biggest chance in the second half and he stood up to it, blocked it and it actually come back and hit back and Liverpool got a goal kick out of it. So uh, particularly the last 15 minutes, I thought he did well. But um, it's just going to have to be more of the same, isn't it, from both of them um, over the next few months. So um, it's basically just batting down the hatches defensively for Liverpool. And um, Having Alisson back will be massive. I think he obviously instills a lot more confidence um, in the defence than Adrian does. Um, I think that's been well documented. So so that's a plus point, but there's no doubt that no Van Dijk means that there's a little bit more anxiety spreading across the fan base whenever teams attack Liverpool. Liverpool won about 14 games, I think, last season by one goal, and a lot of that was kind of almost through design because it never really looked like they were under pressure to, to draw some of those games. But this time, you have a feeling if Liverpool are to repeat that trip, then it's going to be a lot more fly-by-the-city-of-pan stuff where teams are... We're going to have a right go, and and that is kind of how teams will approach it, knowing that, that Liverpool's best defender is not in there. So it's going to be um, a lot more difficult. But um, so far, two two games, two wins, and Liverpool can kind of um, look to to carry on uh, as they have been doing. Yeah, two of the, the four wins then this season by that one goal margin, as you say, Gorsty, last year it was 14 of the 32. Matt, come to you and just sort of uh, have a chat on Joe Gomez and Liverpool sort of defensively in general. Gorsty, I know, made the point on Friday's pod about how Matip and Gomez have only been paired together, I think, once it is under Jurgen Klopp. And whilst there isn't going to be these relationships that have been built, given how consistently Virgil van Dijk is there to be called upon, I suppose it is on Gomez's 
maybe the most senior in terms of appearances for Liverpool to really be the guy to, to step up during this time, regardless of if Liverpool do go into the market? Yeah, it's a big opportunity, I think, for, for Joe Gomez to really almost step out of, of Van Dijk's shadow and, and show just how good a, a defender he is. I think you know, there's been a few inconsistent performances from him in, in recent times. You can pick out one or two games where he hasn't been at his best alongside Virgil van Dijk. But actually, you know, over the last couple of seasons, Joe Gomez has been right up there as, as one of the best defenders in the world. I don't think you know people give him quite as, as much credit, particularly when you consider you know, he is, what, only 23. He's only just turned 23 a couple of months or so ago. So he's still, you know, very, very young and, and very inexperienced in, in that sort of regard. But I think, you know, the, the next few months are, are going to be really big for, for him to take a few strides forward in his development because we know how much he's come on alongside Virgil van Dijk. But this is an opportunity, I think, for people to almost view him in a, a different light, if you like, see him, you know, away from, from van Dijk, see what he can do in his own right because he is an absolutely superb defender himself. So, yeah, he's going to have to take on more responsibility. I think he's going to have to, you know, even though Fabinho is a few years older than him, he's going to have to sort of help him adjust to that new position if he is going to be chopping and changing with, you know, Joel Matip and, and players like that, you'd think Gomez is is probably the one who will be as much of a, a constant as possible because of, as you say, the, the seniority that he has, his injury record is slightly better, certainly, than, than Joel Matip. So, yeah, it's a big few weeks, I think, for, for Joe Gomez. But, you know, I'd certainly be backing him to, to sort of show what he can do, really, and really put down a, a marker and show people that actually, even without Van Dijk being there, He's still, you know, a very, very competent player in his own right. Yeah, he is now, of course, into his sixth year at, at Liverpool, now 23, not the sort of 18-year-old who arrived from Charlton. So, yeah, certainly going to be uh, time to see if he does have what it takes to, to step up. But, Peter, in terms of the defensive showing, of course, back for Liverpool and back ahead of schedules, Alison Becker, great to see him back. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, and... It reiterate what's already been said, that's going to do the defence a world of good as well. Um, not only Joe Gomez's performance, but it's the confidence that Alisson's back, that he commands that back line. It, just his presence gives them a better feel of that. They can hold on to a lead once they get it. Um, it seems to be ahead of schedule as well. And I was reading uh, Gorsley's piece on him fighting fitness, coming back into it. He's the one who's declared himself fit and ready to go. And honestly, it's probably the perfect timing um, ahead of all the kind of near panic, very lot of stress around Virgil van Dijk. It's the exact thing that I think fans and, and Klopp wanted uh, to hear was Alisson is ready to go again. Yeah, and he's been in front of the media talking ahead of this uh, Tuesday night's game, of course, with FC Midland. Before we get on to that, Gorst, do you just want to speak about the central defensive options maybe that Liverpool have open? And, of course, we've spoken over the last week about how perhaps there'll be plans in the summer to bring in a centre-back that might need to be brought forward. But it looks as though Liverpool probably may be happy to, you might say, risk it and go with what they have for now. Yeah, it, it's, it does seem to be that way. Uh, I was doing a little bit of digging around um, over the weekend and I was told that um, it, it's difficult to see under the current circumstances Liverpool making a move for a defender, which for me was a little bit of a surprise to learn. Um, we all know that we've spoken about it before, that the club tracked them white in the summer. Um, so that does appear to be an, an, at least an acknowledgement that a centre-back is an area where they can strengthen. And I'm sure, obviously, Jürgen Klopp knows that. 
But I'm surprised that they didn't bring in a defender initially when there was the obviously lover on the shoulder and, and no one came in to kind of replace him. And that's before Van Dyke was injured. So um, that was a bit of an interesting one. But someone who, who I've told is, is absolutely not under consideration is Ozan Kabak from, from Schalke. Uh, lots of speculation around him for, for a number of months now. But um, was told in non-certain terms that he is not someone who's, who's on the radar. So maybe, I mean, circumstances can and, and perhaps might change um, if the results kind of dip and, and worsen over the coming weeks and months and Liverpool do decide to look at it, or Klopp rather do, does decide to look at it in January. But uh, at the moment, um, he, he seems to be pleased by what he's witnessed from Fabinho, who stepped up admirably, and, and Gomez as well. Yeah, he does. He also referenced, of course, Billy the Kid, Billy Cometeo, in his press conference on Friday. So maybe he's happy to go with some of the younger options that he does have. But if it's not Ozan, uh, Ozan Kabant, then uh, Peter, who Liverpool may or may not then have the, their eye on. There have been, of course, these rumours with Ben White having scouted and having watched him and also they are Upamecano at RB Leipzig. Liverpool fans getting very sort of interested in perhaps a move for a centre-half. Yeah, um, I think uh, as Gus said, it, it's surprising. They seem Liverpool seem a bit one injury away from needing to to go back into the market. But um, the, the Leipzig man will be very interesting to see. He actually travels to to Man United at Old Trafford this week, so I think plenty of fans will be watching that game, trying to see what he's capable of against the Premier League opposition and, and whether or not um, he could be a potential target. Uh, Ben White as well probably hasn't had the easiest of starts in, in Premier League live after Brighton decided to, to keep hold of him. Um, I wouldn't expect him to be a, a January target. He seems more, if Liverpool is still interested, to be one for the future, uh, that they'll continue to monitor his progress as he performs in the Premier League at Brighton. Um, what he can, you know, when they scouted him, he was a championship player. They'll probably want to scout him a bit more to see what he can provide to a Premier League side. But there's, I think there's actually more options than people realise, especially in the season that ha, ha, as it has been right now. It, you know, defensively, a lot of sides are struggling, and there's actually like Aston Villa and Southampton are, are leading the way in clean sheets this term. Uh, and Aston Villa's Conter is a, is a player that actually is interesting me. Once I, I've seen him, he's actually got very similar stats to Van Dijk. He's got more clean sheets. He's actually had more. Um, aerial battles won this season uh, and he's contributed one goal already so there's even though there's only those three names kind of going about the rumour mill I think there's actually quite a few uh, potential targets that Liverpool could eventually look to in the future yeah, and we know, Matt, that Liverpool, of course, do draw up these shortlists, have plenty of options to look at in the transfer market. A bit like Gorsty, you're a bit surprised, perhaps, that Liverpool have allowed this situation to sort of unfold as it has done. Because over the last, what, three or four years, we've been absolutely astounded at just how well prepared Liverpool have been for every eventuality. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I wouldn't say I was astounded that they haven't done something already. I think you've got to trust that Michael Edwards and, and Jurgen Klopp know what they're doing. They've got, obviously, a long-term plan. You mentioned Billy Cometeo there, Reese Williams we've seen in the Champions League now this season. I wonder you know, whether they've had one eye on, on them potentially doing a job and, and improving over the next few months and, and that sort of thing. We will just have to, to sort of see how that plays out. But Upa Meccano, for me, seems like a, a really logical one. I believe next summer is when his 30 six million pound clause comes in that you know anyone can can come in and, and pay that release clause and, and take him 
I wonder, you know, potentially, or I wondered if Liverpool could, you know, go and, and maybe offer Leipzig a little bit of a, a premium, particularly if, if Leipzig are knocked out in the Champions League group stage, if they haven't got the latter stages of, of that tournament, could they go back in January and, and maybe offer a little bit more than that 36 million, which I, I still think would be a bargain for, for somebody of his age and experience. But we, we just have to, to wait and see what Liverpool do and, and whatever they do, trust that it will be the right decision. But yeah, if, if it was entirely up to me, I think I'd be looking to, to get somebody else in in January because at some point, I think Liverpool are going to have to, to make a, a decision on, on what they do next in that area, whether you, you trust that Joel Matip's injuries can improve, whether you think that you know Virgil van Dijk could be back at, at some point before the end of the season. Potentially, we don't quite know uh, the severity and, and the extent of the layoff that he's going to have. There's a lot of decisions for, for Liverpool to make, but Upper Meccano at the right price for me would make a a short term, but also a long term, you know, really, really uh, perfect piece of sense, really, I think. Yeah, it is a mouth-watering prospect. We'll have to wait and see how that one does unfold. And if indeed Liverpool do dip into the transfer market for a defender. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Let's now, though, look ahead to Tuesday night's action in the Champions League. Virgil van Dijk, of course, not the only injury Liverpool have to contend with right now. Thiago Alcantara, Joel Matip and Naby Keita all missed the weekend's win over Sheffield United and ahead of the game with FC Midtjylland. Jurgen Klopp was asked whether the three would be back. Here's what he had to say. Injury-wise, I'm thinking, obviously, Naby Keita, Thiago... Joel Matip, are they available for, for Champions League action this week? Don't think so. <sighs> How long are you looking at for, for those three? Oh, it's still what I said last week. We, we, we look day by day, but um, it seems, <laughs> it looks like that it will. Uh, we need a few more days. Um, so for tomorrow night, they probably will not be ready. Straight back from Jurgen Klopp there, Paul Gorsty. It wasn't really for sort of going into it all too much and looks as though these three might miss this one, but potentially back for West Ham at the weekend. Yeah, you hope so. I mean, it's just, I just wonder how, how long injury issues can continue to affect Matip and Cater in particular before something you know, a kind of big decision is taken. Um, maybe it's too early to be talking about about that when we're in October and the, the January transfer window doesn't open for a couple of months. But um, particularly those two have really struggled with injuries over the past year or so. And, and Keita, we know, has never really kind of got a head of steam in his Liverpool career. And he's, this is third full season now, is it, at Liverpool and Matip? played 90 minutes just the once in, in over a year and at a time when they're really struggling for numbers at the back it's it's worrying um, but I'm not even too sure what the issue is and as seems to be the case with, with Matip he went for a scan after the Mayside derby and everything appeared to be okay there was no serious damage kind of detected but um, this will be the third game that he's missed now since that day and really is a worry and We've spoken to the blue in the face, haven't we, about Cater and, and how he can be a great player when he's fit and firing. But, um, you know, those occasions are becoming so few and far between now. It really is a bit of a worry. And um, hopefully over the next couple of months that both of those players can kind of put their injury pro- problems behind them. But um, history and evidence is not on their side, sadly, at the moment. Yeah, and just a quick one to come back to you on that, Ghost. He's certainly with Matty, but... 
seem to remember last year, of course, after the, I think it was the, the draw at Manchester United, wasn't it? He was injured then and it was a case of, it'll be a couple of weeks and it, it seemed to be from October till the new year he was out and it just sort of, the weeks in the game seemed to go by and again, with if it's a similar situation with this injury this season, Gorsty, then how quickly the games are sort of midweek to weekend, midweek to weekend, he's going to miss an awful lot of games. Yeah, well, well Clark joked, didn't he, about Allison? He said he's, he's missed three weeks, but because we're playing that much, he's missed 15 games. And you can see the points he was getting at. I mean, you're right about Matip. He was injured against United in October, and then he didn't play until January. And that pretty much wrecked his season, to be honest, because I think he only played then against Shrewsbury in the in the FA Cup and then against Everton in the derby, which was the first game back in June. Uh, and he got injured again, which ended the season there. So... He's someone who's had a ton of time with injuries and as I say, hopefully he can eventually put it all behind him because he really needs to to, to be fit. Liverpool need him, don't they? If he's fit, then he'll play. I mean, that, there's no greater dangled carrot than that for him to get fit. So hopefully he can show that. But uh, as I say, it's um, it's not something he's been able to do too regularly you know, over the last couple of years. Peter, do you share those concerns? Certainly on Matip and Cater, obviously, Thiago's only just arrived at the club. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I do. I think if, if ne- neither of them are in the matchday squad, not starting, but just even on the bench at the weekend against West Ham, then the fear will probably really start to set in of, of what's really going on. Um, I don't know if it's a trend that, that Klopp's kind of adopted with uh, the way the schedule is, whether or not he, he waits until the very last minute, um, whether or not it's the the player that, that gives him the go-ahead or, or someone from the medical team gives him the thumbs up um, at, at the very last minute. And that's why we're only hearing, you know, the day before the Champions League game that these players aren't, aren't available. Um, but it will, especially with Cater Avril at the end of last season, you thought we were starting to see the player that we were all waiting to, to appear um, in a Liverpool shirt. And now suddenly he's unavailable again he's got injury problems again but we don't quite know what it is we don't have a time frame and you know it's, it's a bit like Oxlade Chamberlain as well we don't know time frame on, on his return uh, those are two players that, that could be crucial in in Europe and in the league um, and really add something else to, to squad depth and if they're not there then that's a big loss for Liverpool Yeah Matt talking of injuries then and a player who doesn't have injury troubles right now. Is Alison Becker? He told the doctors that he was going to be fitter in fit in three weeks when they said he could be out for up to six weeks. He was in front of the press ahead of the game, and he gave a brilliant interview. He did some really good quotes from him. Obviously, he's worked very, very hard. He said he was, you know, praying every day that he could get back. He's done loads of extra sessions with the physios and, and that sort of thing. And you know, it, it was great to, to sort of see him smiling and. I suppose it's the same with every player, isn't it? It's I'm sure some people get very frustrated with the likes of, of Matip and, and Cater and these sorts of things when they get little niggly injuries and they have to miss, you know, one or two games and suddenly that one or two games turns into to four or five games. But, you know, every single player, and Alisson, Cater, Matip, all of them, they want to be on the pitch. They want to be playing as much as possible. Of course they do. And I think you could really see that with the, the way that Alisson was speaking. You you saw when he was asked the question, he was delighted to, to be talking about that sort of thing. And it's just one of those things, isn't it? We know that, that in football, players do get injuries sometimes, but you know, for, for Liverpool, a huge boost, I think, that, that Alisson is back, particularly with what's happened with Van Dijk since he's been out. Obviously, to have the, the first-choice goalkeeper back is, is a massive, massive thing for, for the whole defence, really. So, yeah, it's a, 
a big thing for for the player, big thing for the club as well. And you would imagine that that Liverpool can sort of go into to games certainly with a lot more confidence with at least one of those two key players for them in that back five. Yeah, certainly. And Gorsty, just another point on Alisson and what he was asked about. He was asked about, obviously, the emotion of not going to be having the fans for a European night at Anfield and also about those, perhaps you could say, the two crucial games he's missed over the last seven months, the Atletico Madrid uh, eventual defeat in the, the Champions League last 16 and, of course, the defeat to Aston Villa. He was, yeah, and he, he said all the right things, didn't he, about, about the lack of fans and, and I've no doubt they're all genuine Liverpool haven't been able to play in front of the cop for seven months. Uh, and this is during the season when they finally ended that way for the Premier League title. So that would have been an incredible night, wouldn't it? When, when it was pretty much confirmed against Crystal Palace and when it was actually lifted against Chelsea. And that's probably been the, the real the real sad thing about, you know, the fact that um, the, the necessary fact that they have been able to, or unable to play in front of the fans. But um that Atletico Madrid game was a strange one, wasn't it? Um, obviously, you, you can point to, to the mistakes that Adrian made, and, and many people do, but um, it was just one of those nights where the, the keeper down the other end was in inspired form, wasn't he? Jan Oblak turned in one of the best goalkeeping performances you've seen for many a year that night, and Liverpool um, were dumped out um, two days before it was all put on hold. So I, th- I think there might be a little bit of little sense of unfinished business in this Liverpool team this season with regards to the Champions League and, and that can only be a good thing, I think. Yeah, certainly does seem the case. And uh, Peter, I suppose with the Champions League, then it is that sort of the way that Liverpool went out last year, there is sort of, and now coming back to Anfield, that, that sense of unfinished business. Yeah, it really hurt. Obviously, they were the defending champions and, and they went out in a way that, you know, was really painful. And it obviously had, you know, Simeone doing the theatrics on the sideline and then the inspired performance from the goalkeeper, as Ghosty said. And so it was, yeah, this year they want they want to go out, they want to make a market. As long as they're not having to, you know, all fly out to Portugal in a closed, closed off tournament kind of things, I think, you know, they want to go all the way. They want to be another final again, at least. And it, They'll probably be hoping fans will be back by the final and that's what we want, the kind of fairy tale kind of trip for everyone. Yeah, let's really hope that is the case. Well, to find out a bit more about FC Midland ahead of this game, delighted to say Joe Donoghue from the Scouted Football Podcast and ScoutedFootball.com is with us. Joe, thanks a lot for your time and thanks for joining us. We have to admit we're not really Danish football enthusiasts, but the FC Midland story is an interesting one. Hi guys, yeah, thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, it's a real pleasure to, to come on and speak to everyone. But um, yeah, FC Midtjylland, um, it's a, it's an interesting story because uh, the club's only 21 years old. Um, so they were formed from from two local clubs and then they've come up through the leagues um, and, and they're the Danish champions uh, currently, having won the league last year. But they're a club who are big on development Um set up their own academy in, in 2004 um, and that acts essentially as sort of the Danish Clairefontaine um, in the same way that France has, has the Clairefontaine Academy. Um, you know, the best young uh, Danish players do tend to train with Midtjylland and, and they tend to bring them through and, and integrate them into their, their first team setup. Um, and that's essentially what they've done. Um, they've got a very young, young uh, outfield team. Um, and yeah, they, but uh, what the one thing I would say is they don't have a great deal of uh, experience uh, against elite level uh, sides like Liverpool. 
Yeah, no, it was a bit of a chastening sort of debut and experience for them first up in the Champions League, that 4-0 defeat to Atalanta. But Jurgen Klopp said in his press conference that he is expecting somewhat of a fight. What kind of style do Midtjylland play? Because last year, of course, Liverpool had Salzburg in the group and we saw what high-octane football they played. That was real good fun. And a lot of Liverpool fans sort of came away from that one with a lot of respect for them. Do you think likelihood is we're going to see a similar sort of style from Midtjylland? Um, I think, yeah, I think it's conceivable that you'll get a fun game of football. It'll be one which will be entertaining for the neutrals. Um, and that's even if Liverpool blow them away, because I think Midtjylland are, are, are a team who will, um, regardless, try and play football. Um, you know, they, they've got a lot of young players who maybe are a little bit defensively naive. I think in the um, the Atalanta game where they lost 4-0, um, there's, there was a great young player called Jens Kajust, who, um, who, who was dispossessed quite frequently. But when he did get on the ball and did make those runs from midfield, he was really progressing the ball very well. Um, and that was sort of in the 70th, 80th minute when they're 3-4-0 down. So I think that there are parallels to Salzburg uh, it, it, from last season. Um, but I think Salzburg perhaps on, on a higher plane than Midtjylland currently are um, in terms of, you know, having had that experience against sides and, and individual players and matchups. Um, that they'll be coming up against in Liverpool. Yeah, interesting stuff. They do, I, I read, sort of have the same ownership model as Brentford and really believe in sort of the, the data and the analytics. Mm-hmm. It does seem to sort of be one of these clubs on sort of a new wave almost, as it were, within European football. It's certainly paying off for them. Yeah, well, the the funny thing about this game is, of course, they're another client of um, Thomas Gronemark, who's obviously Liverpool's throwing coach. Um, and yeah, they're, they're one percenters. They will do anything that's going to give them a competitive advantage. And on sort of a, a, a similar economic plane as they are in, in Denmark to the rest of the clubs in the country, those one percents have helped them establish themselves as, as a top club in Denmark. But um, at a Champions League level, obviously, this is their debut. And yeah, they, I think relying on d- data and analytics has been has been very very beneficial to them. Um, they're actually co- uh, they're actually owned by the Brentford owner Matthew Benham um, and Rasmus Ankerson, who's also involved with Brentford, is sort of the the president of sorts. Um, Mitchell Land as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's very much on sell very cheap, uh, buy very cheaply, or produce your own, and then sell at a you know, a, a much higher price, um, which is essentially the business model which they subscribe to and, and they've been successful with over the past sort of decade or, or 15 years. Yeah, final question then before we let you go and appreciate your time with us here on the Blood Red podcast. In terms of names, are there specific players we should be looking out for? I mentioned, obviously, Salzburg last time. We had the delight of Erling Haaland in Liverpool's group last time and Takumi Minamino now, of course, with Liverpool. Are there any players that you'd perhaps expect to be breakout players in this Midtjylland side? Um, in terms of breakout players, the, there are probably a few who who will make it to sort of the, the Dutch Eredivisie or Liga, Bundesliga, that sort of level. Um, but there was one one player who's returned to Midtjylland um, who played with Celta Vigo in La Liga for the past few years. That's Pioni Sisto. Um, he'll probably play as the number ten, um, and he's a very very high volume dribbler. You know, he's going to attack with pace. He's going to attack with purpose. He's very direct. 
Um, on the right wing, they've got a guy called Anders Drea, who was um, he was bought by Brighton um, when he was a teenager um, and was sent on loan to St Mirren, but has really come you know really come into his own um, since returning to, to Denmark with Midtjylland. Um, and I think in in, in midfield they, they'll probably go with a, a, a double pivot of Frank Onyeka, who's a young Nigerian uh, ball progressing midfielder, uh, and Ivanda, who's more of a number ten but can play as an eight, um, or Jens Kajusta as a um, uh, who I mentioned earlier, but uh, yeah, they've they've got some interesting players um, individually. They're, they're, they'll be very fun to watch, but I think structurally, I think Liverpool will just have too much for them. Well, brilliant stuff. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for joining us here on Blood Red. Joe Donahue there from Scouted Football. Do check them out, the Scouted Football Podcast and scoutedfootball.com for more of his work. Interesting then to see what the Reds are going to come up against. And Gorsty, Jurgen Klopp did say in his press conference that Midtjylland side who, having made it to the Champions League now, Liverpool won't be di- disrespecting them. You don't get into the Champions League group stage if you're not a good team. He did, yeah. And he, he actually said, I think it might have been like the third or fourth question from a Danish journalist. He actually said, do you Danes need to work on your confidence? Because you were all kind of coming in with this mindset that Midtjylland are, are a load of minnows and Liverpool are going to, you know, walk all over them, which which could happen. If Liverpool are top form, of course it could, but they are, as he says, they are in the Champions League on merits for, for what they've done in their own domestic league. And I don't think anyone is expecting Michelin to come and, and win at Anfield tomorrow. But from what Joe was saying there, they're, they're going to come and they're going to they're going to try and play. And, and I know the way that um, the Brentford work. I, I spoke to Ted Nutson okay, a couple of months back, who, who's previously worked for Brentford um, under Matthew Benham, and, and he was kind of detailing the the work that goes into the analytics system there. Um, something that's becoming more and more prevalent across football as a whole. If they've got any kind of similar success rate that the Brentford have had over the last few years, then they will obviously have plenty of talented players who, who will come on to strut the stuff for Anfield. So um, I'm looking forward to, to seeing them. I must admit, I don't know a whole lot about, about the individuals. I've had a, a Danish journalist get in touch with me and, and kind of outline to me who the danger men are for Liverpool. So um, I'll be keeping an eye out for them. But um yeah, I mean, I mean, this is why we like the Champions League, isn't it? This is why talk of a European Super League is, is um, you know, the, the eyes come out, the eyes are rolled whenever you hear about it because uh, you just don't hear, you you wouldn't hear of any of these types of stories if, if that is allowed to happen. And um, similarly to last year when we all got to know Red Bull Salzburg players, um, we might, uh, might be talking about a few Michelin players by tomorrow night. Yeah, we may well just be doing so. If there's a, report, a repeat of the 4-3 or the drama that Salzburg brought to the group, then that would be certainly great. Let's then get on to our team selections then ahead of the game. And uh, Peter, come to you first in terms of your goalkeeper. Alison Becker, obviously back against Sheffield United. No reason to change that, is there? No, I don't, don't expect any change yet unless something terrible happens. But no, hopefully not. Um, Alison's ready to go. I think he's going to make up for last time. Uh, I'd expect him to to not lose his place from from now until until he's forced to. Yeah, no, Matt, come to you for the defence. You can go with the the four man defence, and then we'll pick that apart. Yeah, um, I think it's it's got to be the same again, hasn't it? Obviously, Joel Matip not fit, not ready, so I would be going with Trent, Fabinho, Joe Gomez, and, and Andy Robertson at left back. Any reason, perhaps, Gorsty, that Nico Williams might get a run out in a game like this and allow Trent some sort of rest time? Or do you think we'll, we'll see the same back four again? Um, I, I can see the logic in it, yeah. Um, 
But I, I think he will he will stick with Trent. I mean, West Ham on Saturday evening, it's still... I, I mean, Klopp made a big thing on Friday about the timing of games and, and why it's difficult to play 12-30 on a Saturday when you're playing Wednesday night. But I think with this being a Tuesday night and, and a Saturday evening this week, I think he's likely to stick with, with the, uh, the usual back four. And Peter, you going with that the back four again? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't see any reason to change. Um, you know, if this if this was a little bit later in the season and, and Liverpool already had six or nine points, then then maybe you'd change it up. But at, at the moment, there's still a lot of points to play in, in the group, so you'd keep the same. Gorsty, I'll come to you for the midfield. Then are you going with a, a midfield three, or are we going to stick with a four-two-three-one? I, I think I'm actually going to um, stick with the, the formation from. From Saturday, I very rarely do that. I normally like me me rigid four three three. To anyone who keeps an eye on our um, selectors piece that goes up before the games, but I'm going to go with um, I'm going to go with the two. Yeah, I think um, I think it'll be Henderson and Wijnaldum, and then uh, that front front four of Jota, and then the traditional front three who can and will interchange positions quite regularly. I would suggest. So Ghost's throwing out an, an unchanged eleven. Matt, how's your midfield looking? Yeah, I'm going to go with a two as well. I can see the, the logic. I don't think Mitchell and Ant are going to be at the, the standard to cause Liverpool a huge amount of problems defensively. So I think they can afford to, to go a little bit more attacking and go for it again. So I'm going to go with actually James Milner in there alongside Jordan Henderson uh, just to, to switch it up a little bit. I think it's one of those games where you can afford to make a couple of changes. And I think you know James Milner deserves a chance. I've sort of picked him a, a couple of times now and then he's not got a look in, but... Hopefully on this occasion, I might actually get one right. You might get a look in at left-back, though. You might have missed the, the boat on that one. Peter, what, what about your midfield? Anyone for Curtis Jones? Of course, he did start against Ajax. Yeah, I won't, I wouldn't be surprised to see Curtis Jones tomorrow uh, tomorrow night. It seems the kind of game kind of made for him, and he did very well at Ajax. That was a really tough fixture away from home. So I'd expect him to be rewarded with a start tomorrow as well. Uh, as long as he's next to Jordan Anderson, he's been crucial the last couple of fixtures, I think. I think those two in the midfield too. Fair enough. Matt, who's your sort of four forwards? Then we know who Gorsty's going with. Yeah, it's a, a difficult one, isn't it? I'm going to, to go actually with Salah on the right. I think Minamino is the, the number 10, Jota on the left and, and Firmino through the middle. So no Sadio Mane. Uh, I just think uh, there's... A chance, I think, to, to rotate, as I said before. The, the reason for, for bringing in James Milner is I think that, that Liverpool will have enough to, to get the three points in this one, even without a full-choice 11. So I'm going to uh, take the opportunity, really, to give Sadio Mane a rest and bring him off the bench if Liverpool need to. But for me, there's there's no reason to, to risk him. I think a lot of people, Peter, probably would be interested to see what Takumi Minamino could do. We saw a lot of him in pre-season. We've not really seen much of him since the, the season's got underway. No, we haven't. We've seen him make you know odd cameos, but he hasn't really been given you know a, a full ninety minutes to really show what he can do. And uh, I think there's you know debate whether where should he play the number ten, should he play the wing, should he play more of a striking role. Um, I think like Matt, I'd like to see him in, in more of a number ten role, um, supporting whoever's whoever's forward. Um, but I'd probably see Firmino drop out um, and keeping Jota, Salah, and Mane up front. Yeah, interesting stuff. We'll see how the team do line up then, our predicted side then going there across the bottom of the screen for those joining us on Facebook and YouTube. Let's get our score predictions then. Gorsty, I'll come to you first. What's the score going to be at Anfield? Going to be positive. I'm going to say uh, nice and comfortable 3-0. Matt? 
I'm going to go four nil. I think uh, last week's result that they lost four nil didn't they to Atalanta, and it probably wasn't a four nil game from everything that I've heard. But I think Liverpool are another step up again from that match, and particularly with them being at home, I can see it being fairly comfortable in a clean sheet as well. And Peter, you to round us off. What's the score going to be? Um, I'm going to go for three nil as well. 3-0, 3-0 and 4-0 then. We'll have to wait and see how it does indeed play out for Liverpool. The return of Champions League action at Anfield, of course. Make sure you keep across the Liverpool Echo live blog. The Blood Red channel will be live after the game, of course, with the debrief as always, plus the post-game podcast to come and Jurgen Klopp's post-match press conference. But from us here on this edition of the Blood Red podcast, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.